This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by AT&T Business, keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5G on America's best network. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Former Ohio Secretary of State Kim Blackwell joined the Washington Post to discuss the 2020 election, where his home state will tilt in 2020, and why he believes Trump deserves another four years. Good afternoon. I'm Karen Tumulty. I'm a, I'm a columnist here at the Washington Post, and I want to thank you for joining us this afternoon here at Post Live for our discussion with Ken Blackwell. Ken is the former Secretary of State of Ohio. He is also a, a one of President Trump's longest and staunchest supporters. He headed the domestic policy transition team for President-elect Trump and is now on the advisory boards of Black Voices for Trump and Pro-Life Voices for Trump. So welcome, Mr. Blackwell, Ken. Good to be with you, Karen. So we've had this convention all, it's all building up for the main event tonight. The president's gonna give his acceptance speech. What do you wanna hear him say? What, what is it about Donald Trump that you wanna hear him convey tonight that maybe you know, but other people don't about him? Well, I think it's so important that the president come across as authentic. Uh, this is going to be um, a, a contrast uh, election where the voters have a binary choice, not only between candidates, but between worldviews and, and aspirations of America's future. Uh, and, I, and I think what this president is going to say is, look, uh, too many of our cities are becoming killing fields. Uh, and what we want to do is to advance a program that will make more of our cities uh, fields of dreams, fields of opportunity, uh, where we, in fact, uh, have safe streets, safe neighborhoods where, where folks can raise their families. And I think what you're going to hear him say today is that, one, he understands uh, that there is a real difference between uh, a worldview that basically wants to uh, redistribution wealth in America as opposed to growing the pie and creating the opportunities so that we can see, as Kennedy used to say, more, more uh, rising tide lifting more boats uh, into to prosperity and comfortable living. Uh, that's what he's going he's gonna to come across. He's, I mean, his, his theme of America first uh, is, is going to be laced throughout what he says today. But I think what he's going to want to project is that he doesn't view as his opponent uh, America as being uh, irredeemably racist and, 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 and flawed. Uh, that, as Lincoln said, uh, the United States of America uh, is not a perfect union, uh, but a, a union that is perfectible by good men and good women doing great things together. So, I mean, that's thematically is what you're going to hear. I think what he wants to, wants to make sure he comes across is as authentic. That's going to be very, very important. Well, you mentioned the cities. Um, what do you think he needs to say about what Americans have seen going on for the last week in Kenosha, Wisconsin? I think you know one of the things that he 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 should he should pull on is what Martin Luther King basically said that one uh, as we advance a, a a brighter future 
uh, for America and more uh, a more equitable uh, distribution of opportunities uh, to 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 have the the income and the and the safety needed to to raise families. It, it, what he wants to do is to make sure uh, that people understand that if in fact you have uh, cities that are not uh, adhering to the rule of law but have fall victim of lawlessness, what you will see is a a spiraling down uh, in the quality of life of those communities. And you will see people, what I used to call, as a former mayor, I was always interested, not only in just making sure that our, our streets and our neighborhoods were safe, but that they were, uh, our city was an inviting atmosphere for investment because capital seeks the path of least resistance and greatest opportunity. And I was always fond of saying, capital is a coward. It doesn't. It doesn't run to violence. It doesn't. It, it flees violence. And and if in fact you want to turn these cities around and create the 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 feel of dreams, the, the cities of opportunity, you have to create environments that are conducive to capital to investment. Uh, and and that's what 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 the, these mayors are starting to experience. They're seeing people who I call net taxpayers, people who pay more in taxes than they demand in service fleeing their cities. And as a consequence, the people who are left in the cities, you know, have lower incomes, have lower levels of, of education, and become trapped into what all too often, you know, are, are, are plantations of, 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 of dependency. That's, that's, the, that's the challenge. He has to be able to say that he's aware that his first responsibility to America is to make sure that we have a secure nation uh, and that he is providing the leadership and the cooperation with local and state officials to create safe neighborhoods and safe streets. And he's done that. He's, he's extended the invitation. And do you think that this, this is the kind of argument that is going to bring over suburban voters and specifically suburban women? Because uh, the president does is running a big deficit, especially with college-educated women. Um, do you think this is going to be the argument that appeals to them? Oh, absolutely, because I, I don't care if you're conservative Republican or, or, or liberal Democrat, you want your family to be safe. You want your children to be safe. You want to live in an environment that's conducive to economic growth, job creation, uh, where you can have an opportunity uh, to, to work, where there's quality schools that can provide opportunities to, to learn to, for your children. Uh, that will, uh, that will appear, uh, uh, appeal. Uh, look, it's, it's, it's very, very evident that more and more uh, suburban uh, livers, uh, as is the case with urban dwellers, they're becoming frustrated with leadership that's derelict in its duty, turning away, uh, caving in, cowering uh, to this lawlessness. Uh, that's that. This is his opportunity to say, "Look, I respect classic United States constitutional federalism. I understand that the safety uh, and the well-being of the citizens in their neighborhoods and in their cities first resides with mayors and township trustees and county commissioners." Uh, I am here to say that through my Operation Legend. Uh, we want to make sure that we have extended 
the opportunity for you to coalesce and with with all levels of law enforcement and safety uh, force officials to make sure that your neighborhoods are, are safe. People are, are hearing that. They are starting to, to, to frown on and reject these local officials who have cowered uh, to lawlessness and who for, for partisan reasons are, are rejecting the invitation to coordinated effort uh, like that that's being offered through Operation Legend. Well, so right now, at least in our poll, um, uh, black voters are favoring uh, Vice President Biden over President Trump by 87% to 9%, which is just about exactly the mark, I think, that just about that Hillary Clinton hit with them four years ago. Um, you're talking in terms of an economic argument. Is that really going to be enough to bring over African-Americans in significant numbers to President Trump? Oh, absolutely. Look, the last time around, the president got 8% of the African-American vote. Um, this time, I, I, you know, because I've been on the ground and I've crisscrossed the country, you know, I've had the benefit of being not only a mayor of, uh, of a major American uh, city, but as uh, one of Jack Kemp's undersecretaries when he was at HUD. And, I crisscrossed the country with with Jack and and became very familiar with uh, not only the leadership but the conditions that that reside in a lot of the cities across this across this country. Uh, I think that with the opportunity zones, with this track record, with the president's track record has been with historic black, historically black colleges and universities, what he's done in criminal justice reform. Uh, he will take that 8% of 2016 and grow it, I predict, to 15 to 18% uh, in, in this upcoming election. Uh, you know, this president didn't just have a, a song and dance during an election year. Uh, he basically uh, has had a sustained program of effort and accomplishments you know, in the four years that he's been in in in, in office, I I think Newt Gingrich's advice to him in in 2016 to to develop a punch list of promises that he in fact could be held accountable to uh, when he went down and said promise made, promise kept, and 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 for 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 Black Americans uh, and Black communities across this country. Uh, we are. We have now started to see him go down that punch list. And again, whether it's with historically black colleges and universities where education uplift is and opportunity is so important, whether it's his support for a school choice, uh, making sure that that black children are not held captives of dysfunctional schools, that that there's a way out. Uh, his 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 zeroing in on opportunity zones where you, you create the environment to to make uh, capital more attractive attractive, which means that you have to have a safe environment, tax policies, regulatory policies that draw capital into those urban centers where it's needed. I think he will make that case. And Karen, look, let me go back and just put it in context. In 2004, George Bush received about 
of the black vote across uh, across the country. But in the state of Ohio, he got 18%. He got 18% because he spoke directly to issues that mattered to the black community. And, and, and whether it was life or, 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 or support for policies that, that protected and advanced the nuclear family, uh, he in fact got a strong 18% of the black vote. Uh, and that was decisive in Ohio in, in, in an election where Ohio mattered. Uh, if Ohio had gone the other way, George Bush wouldn't have been president. Ken, I'd love to ask you about Ohio because those of us who are political reporters have spent so much time in Ohio because it for so many years was considered a bellwether. And um, it's maybe a little redder than it used to be, but it still has the, uh, the, the best record of any state in the union for picking the winner in presidential elections. So what's it looking like to you on the ground there? Is, is, is this even within reach for, for Vice President Biden this year? Uh, look, uh, I, I am one of those uh, uh, political uh, operators that always runs scared. I never take anything for, for granted. You're, you're absolutely right. The president won Ohio by eight points, uh, and his team hasn't left Ohio. Uh, and, and, and he works cooperatively with Governor DeWine uh, and all of the uh, Republican officials uh, in, in the state. So I, I think he has a solid foundation. But importantly, more importantly for me in these last 68 odd days is that he has a team that's, that is on the ground and ready to make a difference with his ground game. And going back to what we were just talking about, he can run on a record of promises made, promises kept, and accomplishments. And I, and, I, and I think that in that case, not only will he carry Ohio, but he Ohio will be one of the leading states in getting him closer to that 15% you know, of the black vote uh, that I think he needs uh, to, to uh, carry uh, not only in Ohio, but in, in, in Wisconsin with Milwaukee, you know, I, he is in fact uh, speaking uh, not just to black voters, but uh, coal miners in Pennsylvania, uh, and truck drivers. Uh, he, this guy is, is a blue collar billionaire. He knows how to a speak. Blue -collar the billionaire. <laughs> he knows, he knows how to speak. He knows how to speak the language. Uh, he's very much a part of of of, of the culture, uh, and 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 look, he, he's also very much uh, a New Yorker. Uh, he's pugnacious, uh, and and he 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 doesn't he doesn't run away uh, from a fight. He believes that if if you think you're right, then you fight. And uh, this 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 president is a fighter, and, and Ohioans well, like that. Well, I'm going to write this down. You are predicting he's going to essentially double his uh, his percentage of African-American votes. And if this prediction turns out to be right, I'm going to want to call you up after the election and have you explain precisely how he did this. Um, another, well, another, the, another big issue that people are talking about, and you're a former Secretary of State, so this is very much in your wheelhouse, is getting people to vote 
to getting people to the polls safely. Um, mm -hmm. A lot, you know, uh, there's a lot of concerns. I mean, poll workers tend to be retirees, you know, the exact demographic that is most worried about COVID. Um, are people going to want to stand in line to, to vote, and especially if there are fewer polling places? What kind of concerns do you have about this election? Let me, let me just give some context to what I'm getting ready to say. I, I chair uh, the International Foundation for Electoral Systems. It is funded primarily by USAID. We don't do elections in the United States, but it is a strict bipartisan board, uh, even number of Democrats and Republicans, and we work uh, cooperatively together. Uh, in 2014, uh, IFAS, as we call uh, the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, we were working in um, Liberia, right in the middle of the uh, Ebola pandemic. Uh, we established protocols, uh, risk mitigation strategies, uh, social distancing, uh, and, and that country, that developing country was able to pull off uh, in-person uh, voting right in the middle of the Ebola uh, outbreak. Uh, there's no reason why, you know, we can't execute in-person voting in a, in a very safe manner, taking advantage of early voting uh, schedules, uh, making, which will allow us to reduce the pressure uh, on election day, but it's still in-person early voting strategies. Uh, look, we, we also use uh, individual voter demand uh, mail voting. Uh, that is different from universal mail voting where you know, you know election officials just mail uh, without request, mail ballots out to uh, uh, all registered voters. Uh, even uh, against, uh, uh, you know, uh, faulty or, or corrupt voter rolls, uh, where you get a lot of ballots in play uh, that uh, are fall outside of the chain of custody. When an individual wants to vote absentee and wants to do that by mail, they have to make the request. That request is followed through with a, with a mail back to them. And there is a real uh, transparency of that, of the, of the, uh, chain of custody. Uh, and that's, so, so election officials across the country, they, they understand uh, how, we, how we can do in-person voting and in-person voting safely using, again, uh, early voting schedules uh, and absentee, absentee um, ballots uh, where, where there are those who, who can't come out to the polls either early or on election day. Uh, having optimum numbers of eyeballs, transparency, uh, and securing the, uh, the uh, ballot uh, chain of custody is really important to giving people confidence uh, in the results that are registered or tallied uh, right after uh, election day closes. Well, do you think though that, that anybody who wants an absentee ballot should be able to get one? Uh, do you think that the whole country ought to have no excuse absentee voting? I think that anybody that has already established uh, where they requested, where they requested, not where election officials just mass voted, uh, and that has been the established practice in that state. Look, 
there are five states that have put years of experience uh, against uh, all male voting. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that they do it relatively safely, uh, but, it, but it hasn't come in, in a matter of five weeks or five months. Uh, and so I think that where it is established law, and, and that's, that's what's important here, Karen, uh, we have election day, but we have 50 different election systems. Uh, and that has its, its positives and its negatives. Uh, that means that depending on your election officials, how, how engaged they are, how up-to-date they are in, 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 in best practices and, and modern technology uh, will depend, uh, will, 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 will give you an indication of how safe your ballot is uh, and how, how fraud-proof or resistant uh, the, the system happens to be. So the answer to your question is, where it's already established for male voting, yes. Uh, where absentee ballots are requested by uh, a, uh, a voter, yes. Uh, but it, it, if we want to have optimum confidence in the result in a timely fashion, we need to, in fact, encourage safe in-person voting, whether that be early or on election day. Look, that's the way at the precinct level, neighbors, you know, no neighbors. Uh, there, there's a history, there's an eyeball recognition of folks who come in to, to, to vote. Uh, they talk about their, 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 their kids going to school or, or, or what's a good buy at the grocery store. You know, or you know, whose line needs to be cut? You know, it, that's that, that's part of the American you know experience in in, in balloting and voting. Uh, it is a civic engagement, civic responsibility. I I, I happen to believe uh, that that it should be a holiday. Now I've been saying that for years. I did not didn't always get uh, because of the commercial hit that it might be, and a lot of people think we already have enough holidays. Uh, but it, if I had to do it, this, I, I would encourage people to give their workers a holiday. And, and it goes back to, that allows me to go back to something you, you mentioned. And that is the age, the mean age of the average election worker, whether it's volunteer or paid. You know, over half of those workers are over the age of 68. You know, and, 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 and so I think, that we should be on a on a tear to in, in, entice, encourage younger folks to volunteer or to become paid poll workers and watchers. Well, no matter how this all of this gets sorted out, I mean, it's clear that we're going to have a lot more ballots this year cast by mail than we have ever had before. And you're right, every single state has different rules for how they handle it. They have different technology for how they handle it. And as a result, it takes a while to uh, count the votes. Uh, it, it, I remember I was in Arizona election night 2018, and a lot of the people who were ahead on election night uh, ended up not winning because of the, the mail-in votes that came in that were, it took them over a week to get them all counted. Uh, the president has suggested that there's something sort of 
illegitimate about not knowing who the winner is on election night. What is your feeling about that? Well, we because of the whole uh, process of of overseas ballots, uh, there there are um, <clears throat> voters who cast provisional ballots where there's some question. And so provisional ballots, the, the, the whole certification process, uh, we won't finally know for a few weeks uh, as we as we get it sorted out. What what I think the president is is, is most concerned about, as I've heard him speak to this issue, is this uh, this notion of mailing every voter who is on a on the rolls a ballot. Uh, that is he, he is right to oppose that. Uh, I think it's going to be very important uh, that um, that that we have volunteers uh, who can help count the votes, uh, who can be poll watchers. Uh, and my advice to the Republican uh, National Committee and the Trump campaign: win by a landslide, and that all goes away. Look, the the reality is is that there are those who are working to make sure that the results on election day are, with, are within what I call the margin of litigation. Uh, and they would, they would rather for uh, judges on the bench uh, and, 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 and lawyers to decide the outcome versus you know, the, the voters. The one way that this all is, 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 is reduced to a marginal concern as if, in fact, you win these states outside of the margin of mitigation. And I think that that can, that, that can be done. But, but you don't necessarily think that if we don't have a, a winner declared by midnight, election night, that people ought to start worrying well, that there's some kind of fraud. Well, or something you know, like I, 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 I really do believe that on election night, just as was the case, you know, uh, even in... in <laughs> you will you will have a declared uh, provisional not provisional uh, but a preliminary uh, vote total uh, with with the acknowledgement that there are provisional ballots that need to be counted there are overseas ballots that need to be counted um, that's that's going to be important look I can go back and keep going back and forth on this in terms of the mail voting you know what we what we know now is that in in Ohio. Your, your, your mail-in ballot, uh, whether it's absentee or what have you, has to have a postmark on it. Uh, in the final analysis, uh, if you start doing this and you, and you, and you push the, the post office under this current practice, you know, what, if, what if ballots come in that don't have the postmark stamp on it? Do you count them or you don't count them? You know, this, is, this is the sort of confusion that the president is saying uh, that we we need to we need to avoid, uh, and if we do things in a in a reasonable fashion, we will have a, a nice balance between uh, voter requested absentee ballots uh, and states that have done this for years in their in their all mail in uh, balloting with the people who uh, go out and safely vote in person. Uh, it, it, it we we can do this. We will get it done. Right now, we're do, doing a lot of head knocking around what is 
the definition of universal male voting and whether or not uh, it is laden with risk of, 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 of fraud. And, and it is, <laughs> without question. Look, no, here, here, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge that the Democrats are going to have. You know, they're, they're, going, they're, they're going after the youth vote very, very hard. And there's, there are a lot of young people who have never put a stamp on an envelope. You know, so, <laughs> so I, th I think you're describing my kids there. <laughs> yeah, they don't, they've never written a check either. So. <laughs> That's right. So, well, I think we are just about out of time, Ken, but I so appreciate uh, you being with us this afternoon and, and hope, hope you'll be back soon. And like I said, I'll, I'm going to be watching election night to see if uh, Trump hits that 15% with the African-American vote. All right, do that. I I'll gladly be back with you. <laughs>